You can't ride in my little red wagon. You can't ride in my little red wagon. Front seat's broken and the axle's dragging. Front seat's broken and the axle's dragging. Chugga, 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 chugga. Suck it, verse, suck it, verse. A whole lot louder and a whole lot. What's up, y'all? This is Nick Bartlett. I'm a broadcast manager here at Sports Pack 12. I'm also a staff writer over at OregonSportsNews.com. And I've had over 50 articles featured in the Seattle Post-Intelliger. And this is going to be a Sports Pack 12 original, The Nick Bartlett Show. So this is going to be a run-of-the-mill sports show talking about Pac-12, hot topics of the week. And one thing I want to stress is that I'm not much different than you guys. Seriously, I work a day job. My opinion is no more valuable than yours. And I'm just grateful for your viewership, your listenership. And without further ado, let's get straight to some Pac-12 action. Thanks for tuning in. Pac-12 football is only two weeks away, baby. Welcome back to today's show, everyone. In today's episode, we're going to continue our schedule breakdown, focusing the spotlight on Washington, Colorado, and the Stanford Cardinal. We're also going to dissect the Twitter battle between Nick Rolovich and unsuspecting Husky fan. And we'll round out the broadcast with the usually entertaining and sometimes confusing Bartlett's random topic of the day. But before we dive into the deep details of the schedule, let's hop onto the Twitter sphere where WCU head coach Rolvulch found himself in a battle wits earlier this week. Had a little trouble with the name there. Name is Rolovich. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, here's a quick rundown of events. On Thursday morning, Rolo posted a picture of Martin Stadium. WCU's home field with the caption, now that's a Cougar sunrise. This, of course, compelled a Washington fan to tweet back at Rolovich. Nice high school stadium. (laughs) Pretty funny. (laughs) And uh, surprisingly, though, and here's the kicker. Surprisingly, Rolo, WCU's head coach, actually tweeted back, isn't your stadium built on an old garbage dump? So I got a little rant coming in here, but (laughs) in regards to the actual comeback, that is freaking hilarious. Is it your stadium built on an old garbage dump? Does not get much better than that. That's like a perfect insult when you're out with the boys having a couple of brews. That was a clean, crisp, nice, refreshing insult. And honestly, I'm born and raised in Seattle, technically Shoreline for Suburb North, but I had no idea UW Stadium was built on an old garbage dump. So just really, really, really funny. But in regards to actual football, because football, again, only two feet, uh, two weeks away here, what is he doing? Like, what is Rolo doing? The only people who are going to pay the price for this type of remark is the WSU players. I don't know what Rolovich was watching in Hawaii, but the last four, five, six, seven years, UW has not just beat the Cougars, they've physically dismantled destroyed and eaten them alive and broke their spirit in the process. So I don't understand how from a football player, or excuse me, from a football coach perspective, this makes any sense, any sense whatsoever. The UW players have obviously heard this. The lot of upper kind of echelon people in UW's football department have obviously heard this. And now you're adding more fuel to the fire you should have just rolled in quietly to the season. With all the weird crap going on in the world, 
Maybe WSU could have beaten UW in the Apple Cup, but not if you put their freaking program on blast. A program is trying to rebuild and still has a lot of talent from some very high recruiting classes. These guys are going to remember that, and Rolo, I don't know if you know exactly what you're doing because you haven't been in big conference football yet. This isn't whatever conference Hawaii is, unless that's the whack. Honestly, no disrespect to mid-major programs. I got a lot of love for them, so no disrespect. But when you're at a top, top-tier conference like the Pac-12, the talent is better, and you do not want to piss off those guys on the other side of the state. That's all I'm saying, Rolo. Does not make a lot of sense, and elite coaches just don't do these sort of things. Like, let's be honest. When's the last time you heard of Nick Saban getting in a Twitter battle? You, you know, like, seriously, have you ever heard of him? Or what about David Shaw or Kyle Whittingham, if we're going over here to the Pac-12? When's the last time you heard them firing back at a fan on Twitter? If you're Rolovich, this look is just <laughs> very, very interesting. And it's one of those cases now, if you win, everyone's going to love you. You will be a legend of the Palouse for getting this done. You know, you talked ish and you backed it up. But if you lose, now this and the whole incident with the player in regards to the player movement earlier this year, that's going to come back and probably not bow to on your favor, particularly if you have a losing season in the upcoming year. And I did the WCU schedule breakdown last week, and you're probably going to have a losing year this year. Probably going to be like 1-5, in five, maybe 0-6, 2 and fourth the best. So just not really understanding why you would do this as a newcomer in town. And again, just the elite coaches don't do these sort of things. I really want to make that clear. Elite coaches don't do this. They just kind of fade off and win games quietly. Last point I want to add here. Is he trying to be himself or Mike Leach? Mike Leach is Mike Leach. Like, that guy is one of a kind. And uh, I personally wasn't the biggest fan of him. But I love and respect the originality of him. I love when people are themselves whether I agree or disagree with them. If you're authentic, if you're yourself, I respect it. Whether I like you or not, that's a different story, but I respect you for being authentic. With Rolovich, yeah, he's always had some kind of weird kinks in his system. I mean, he wore a clown suit to the Hawaii Spring Game a couple years ago, but is he trying to be Mike Leach? Because he ain't Mike Leach. No one is Mike Leach. So Rolovich, just, I don't know exactly what you're doing, and for the Pac-12, it's... Not really the best look, honestly. For WSU, it's not a good look as well. But for the conference as a whole, you don't want your coaches out there on Twitter unless you're you know, typing like excited, unoriginal stuff like seven days till game day or some motivational quote. So that's that on this topic here. Going to get into the schedule breakdown, but very grateful for Rolo actually because I wasn't sure I was going to start the show this week. Had some time to fill and he made it very easy for me. So again, I just want to kind of hit on the three points from the quick little rant there. <laughs> One, hilarious comeback. That like that was some good stuff if you're out drinking with your buddies. As the head of a major football program, probably not the best idea. Two, the players will play the price, not Rolo. Again, UW has dismantled uh, the Cougs physically, just their spirit's been broken, and now you're just adding more fuel to the fire. And three, The elite coaches do not do these sort of things. So that's where I stand on this issue. And now it's time for some schedule analysis. And sticking with the theme here, let's actually stay in Seattle and take a look at the Huskies' upcoming slate of games. 
So the first thing I noticed is that in regards to UW's schedule, they fit the trend with some of the teams we covered last week in regards to their opening game proving absolutely astronomical. The Dogs open up the season at Cal in a game that have serious North implications on the line. And in no specific order here, Cal, Washington, and maybe Stanford are all teams with an outside shot to win the Pac-12 title behind the favored Oregon. In my personal opinion, Washington is the most talented rostered out of these outside contenders, excluding Oregon, even though I think that may be a little closer than people realize. But anyways, Washington is the most talented roster of the outside contenders, making this game with Cal absolutely pivotal. This will be Jimmy Lake's first game as head coach of the Huskies, and he'll obviously be forced in a marquee matchup right on the spot. This contest should prove a low-scoring affair between two ex-Husky defensive coordinators leading their respective teams with Coach Justin Wilcox, Helm, and Cal. And I do think that UW remembers the tough losses of the Golden Bears the last few years and will find a way to merge victorious. The Huskies and Cal are teams that are very similar, but I do believe UW is the slight talent edge, which is why I think they'll survive a tight Week 1 matchup. Well... At least Pac-12 week one. I think week one of college football was a while ago. Anyways, Chase Garbers is a phenomenal quarterback for Cal. And it really is tough to pick against him. Really, really tough to pick against him. Undefeated as a starter last year. But the dogs have not forgot what happened the last two years. And neither is Jimmy Lake. So after the Cal game, or excuse me, after the opener, UW's schedule gets much more favorable as they host OSU and Arizona the following two weeks, which have both proved easy victories. OSU's offense is good, but... Not good enough to cause the Huskies defense any real problems. So after the extended homestand, they travel across the state to face WSU in the Apple Cup. And as I stated last week, the Huskies defense should be able to stymie the Cougs. So I wouldn't expect the dogs, or excuse me, I would expect the dogs to win this comfortably. But with that being said, it's obviously a rivalry game, so anything can happen. After the Cougs, UW's travels back home to face Stanford in another game that should prove winnable. So you're looking at the Huskies' first five games. It's very realistic that they start off 4-1 and or maybe even 5-0. and This will set up a conference showcase in the final game of the season as they travel down to Eugene to face the Ducks. But guess what, people? Go, 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 go. Guess what? I'm actually saving my prediction on this matchup until a later date because it may give away my prediction for the North and maybe even conference champion. I literally feel y'all angry toward me right now. I, I know you. that's a big one. Y'all wanted that prediction. But seriously, guys, next week, Maybe two weeks from now, I'll readdress this issue. In regards to the Huskies' schedule in totality, it's the first slate of games that feels like a neutral, fair, and balanced schedule. They have two gimmies, two 50-50s, and two tough matchups. Kind of wondering why the Pac-12 didn't do this for all teams, but we've kind of dissected that issue the last two weeks. So, we took a look at UW. Now it's time to fly east and kind of analyze the Colorado bus schedule this year. When I say kind of, we're definitely going to analyze them, so... Looking at Colorado, the Buffs are an outlier this year as their first game isn't really the most important on their schedule. However, that doesn't mean it isn't one of the most interesting. CU CU opens their campaign at home as new head coach Carl Durrell faces off as famous... Whoa, having trouble with that sentence there, ladies and gentlemen. So let's start back with Colorado's schedule here. So again, CU opens their campaign at home as new head coach Carl Durrell faces off against his former team in the UCLA Bruins. In terms of picking a winner for this game, I'm not going to lie, it's a coin flip. However, with that being said, I think that Chip Kelly and his squad get the job done and pull out the victory in Boulder. I just can't get over the fact of how much losing LaVisca Chenault is going to hurt the Buffs. He was literally 
everything for them. And it also doesn't help that they lost a three-year starting quarterback in Steven Montez and a solid head coach in Mel Tucker. Obviously, with the loss to Rutgers yesterday, that could kind of prove interesting how his kind of campaign turns out in Michigan State. But in Colorado, he was doing good things. But really for me, and for really, really, forget Mel Tucker, it's lost to Chenault that I really think will prove too much to overcome. Anyways, Bus lose game one and then travel to Palo Alto to face Stanford the following week. I again think CU loses a flip-flop game as the Cardinal proved too much to overcome, led by quarterback Davis Mills, wideout Semi Fajoko, and all-around amazing coach in David Shaw. But Nick, but Nick, nah, 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 nah. You keep talking about the other team players and not the Buffs. Well, guys, to say this bluntly, there's not a whole lot to talk about the Buffs. I mean, their quarterback is unproven, whoever it may be. Tyler Lytle, I think, is the front runner, if that's his name. See, that's what I'm saying. Who really cares? Their running back combination of Jaron Mangham and Alex Fontenot is decent. I mean, those are some good running backs, but they have no line to run behind. So if you got nothing to run behind, it's not going to work. And their best receiver, Katie Nixon, is more of a gadget-type player and really cannot be considered an elite wideout against the top secondary players in conference. So how's that for your, for your analysis, Buffs Nation? You like that? You should have just stuck with the schedule breakdown. All right. Speaking of the schedule, let's get right back to it. They host ASU in their next contest, which they'll lose. And then they'll travel to Los Angeles to face the Trojans, which they'll lose worse. <laughs> Sorry, Buffs fans. It, it could be a rough year. It, it could be a rough year. So the next matchup on their schedule could prove their only winnable game this season as they head to Tucson in a contest against the Wildcats. And now I have to stop the freaking broadcast, go completely off script from the notes, and just say, how come Dane's going to tweet me twice? Or excuse me, like direct message on Twitter, right as I say Tucson. That's some freaky synchronicity right there. Talk about Dane Miller, another Sports Pack 12 writer, formerly with me on the Dane and Nick show. And that was just really freaky. Like literally the second before I said Tucson, which is his hometown, got two direct messages from him on Twitter. Kind of freaking me out there. Synchronicity, he may be a mind reader. Anyways, so going back to that game here. Again, could prove winnable for the Buffs, the game against the Wildcats in Tucson. So this matchup could really go either way. And honestly, I don't really care who wins this game. I'm probably not going to make a prediction here. I mean... It's so unlikely that either of these teams are competing for a conference title that just kind of feels like a waste of time. So the final game on the Buffs schedule is a matchup at home against rival Utah. And for some reason, after all the ish I talked, I actually think they may pull off the upset this year. The Utes are certainly more talented, but this matchup feels like one of those where the Buffs will have literally nothing to lose. CU will likely enter this game with only one win on the season, two max, making this contest dangerous for the Utes. Expect the Buffs to pull out all the stops and maybe, just maybe, snap the three-game winning streak that Utah currently holds in this series. And Colorado is another one of those teams who the schedule makers didn't necessarily tilt their schedule kind of hard or easy in either direction. They had three games against decent opponents and three others against top-tier competition. I personally love Colorado's program and what it represents, but I really do think they're going to struggle this year. Always fun to talk a little ish about a team who may be struggling, but uh, we do got to get on to the next squad here. And that's actually going to be the Stanford Cardinal. And in my humble opinion, this is probably the most interesting team in the Pac-12 this year. This is no doubt David Shaw's most important season on the farm. 
and the success he has in the upcoming campaign will likely dictate the state of the Cardinal program for the next three years. The question we're all wondering as Pac-12 fans is if Stanford will return to the form they've shown this entire decade or if they'll continue the downward spiral of 2019. It is fair to note their offense line was absolutely decimated last year. I believe they had seven in total. And guys, I've said that like so many freaking times right in this offseason. I'm so gosh darn ready for Pac-12 football to start. I don't care about Stanford's offensive line injuries, but it is important to note, hey, two weeks away. Anyways, let's get in the schedule. They open up the year at Oregon, which will be a clear indicator of where the program stands. Even though I really do like Davis Mills at quarterback and Stanford's offensive line, I don't think they have enough players at the skill positions to overtake the Ducks. Simi Foco will likely struggle against UO's amazing secondary, even with the Ducks' departure of key players. Simi Foco, very talented uh, wideout for Stanford. From a physicality standpoint, these teams may actually be closer than the media may realize, but skill-wise, Tracktown USA has way too much speed for Stanford. Oregon wins comfortably, but do not confuse that with easily. Comfortably, but not an easy victory by any means necessary. In the Cardinal next game, there was Colorado, which we've already discussed. Stanford wins. They remain at home in game number three, in which they host the WCU Cougs. This is a 50-50 matchup in which I think the Cardinal emerge victorious due to their physicality up front. The Cougs probably have better weapons at skill positions, but Stanford will be prepared because of their week one matchup against Oregon. Thinking this game should be a lot of fun to watch, but Stanford ultimately emerges victorious. Last week, I said I didn't feel comfortable making this pick when I was breaking down WCU's schedule. Did a little bit more research. No, I didn't. It just kind of came to me, guys. I just feel that Stanford's going to win, honestly. The fourth matchup of the year is the notorious big game, in which I actually don't feel comfortable making a selection. And out of all the games on their schedule, this is the one that determines everything. Like, everything. Cal's program is on an upswing, and they could become the dominant team in the Bay if they knock off Stanford two years in a row. Out of all the matchups I've discussed over the previous three weeks, this is hands down, hands down, the most important single contest for any team, like by far, by freaking far. It's not the most important in terms of championship contention, but if Stanford wants their football program to remain prominent, they must get this done. And that's a must. Circle, star, gold star, whatever you need to do, this is a must win for Stanford. A loss in this game could tilt the local recruiting scene in Cal's favor, which could ultimately spell doom for the Stanford football program. The Cardinal have held a strong edge in this department for the last five years, and <laughs> probably a lot longer than that. So really, the Cardinal have to win. Like Again, have to win. I cannot stress enough how big the big game is this year. So the last two matchups on Stanford's schedule are at Washington, and then they round out their slate hosting OSU. To make this simple, they'll lose to Washington and beat the Beavs. Looking at the Cardinals' schedule, they could finish anywhere from 2-4 to 4-2, and, and even hold a slim chance of winning the North given the right set of circumstances. Fitting with the theme of this week's show, their schedule is actually really balanced. Three of their games should prove winnable, while the other three will probably be difficult. Good work, Pac-12. Seriously, good work, good work. Bottom line is, that Cal game is everything. Like They have to win, guys. If Stanford's program wants to remain formidable, they have to win. So... For Bartlett's random topic of the day today, what are we going to talk about? I was struggling to think of something, but then something came to me, literally, not figuratively. Man, I got a story for y'all on Tuesday morning. This is actually going to be a pretty short story. Don't want to make the episode too long today. Want to get you out and to enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll make this short and fun and entertaining. 
And it's all entirely freaking true. Jesus freaking Christ. So Tuesday morning, I believe it's Tuesday. I wake up super early. Like, I don't know early as do you guys, but most people consider early. I wake up at like 5.40 a.m. when I work at 8. I like my mornings. I like my time. Like to eat food, like to eat shower, whatever. The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, I'm a guy who really likes some fresh air. I go open my front door. I go open my back door. So do that, you know, go back to my room, maybe put on some warm clothes, something like that. Bloody, 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 blah. So I go back out. I make my breakfast. I think I'm eating a wheat tortilla with sunflower butter. Yeah, guys, whatever. I like what I like. So eating a wheat tortilla with sunflower butter, mid-bite, enjoying my breakfast. I just finished listening to some classical music. I'm getting myself mentally prepared for the day to go work with some kids. And I take a look at my left, and there's a raccoon in my house. Okay. Didn't quite register what happened. Look again. There's a freaking raccoon that just rolled through my back door, guys. A freaking big raccoon, too. Like, this was not just a small animal. It was sizable. Like, obviously, it probably felt bigger to me in the moment. But, promise you, this was not a baby raccoon. That's for damn sure. <laughs> That's for darn sure. <laughs> so, not going to act like I played this off cool. You know, a lot of guys trying to act tough. Like, all macho. Like, I grabbed my fork and I ran towards the raccoon and stabbed it. No. I yelled loud. I was just shook. I yelled and by the graces of the universe or whatever faith or religion you believe in, whatever deity you believe in, the raccoon ran outside. Woo! <laughs> Man. Dude, like, if that raccoon had not gone outside, I do not know what I would have done. Like, I'm not going to, like, what are you supposed to do if a raccoon stays in the house? Like, I work. I can't just leave it in there for when I come home later. <laughs> like, not an option. So, just so grateful that raccoon ran outside. <laughs> I, I cannot tell you how surprised it was. You know, just it, it was like out of a cartoon almost. Like I said, I looked once and kind of just like wasn't necessarily sure. And then it just hit. I was like, oh my freaking gosh. <laughs> my freaking gosh. So, that's going to do it for Bartlett's random topic of the day. Told you, don't want to keep you too long today. Thanks for tuning in as always. In conclusion, we'll give you a quick rundown of what we discussed today. So, started off with a Twitter feud between Rolovich and a Husky fan. We continued our schedule breakdown, highlighting Washington, Colorado, and Stanford's respective programs. And for Bartlett's random topic of the day, don't eat wheat tortillas with sunflower butter. Apparently, they attract raccoons. I'm just kidding, universe. They may not do that. I do not want another raccoon rolling into my house. So that is a joke to the universe. <laughs> you guys do not understand how much that caught me off guard. Anyways, guys, we are only two weeks, count them, two weeks away from Pac-12 football. I don't know if you're starting to get excited, but I certainly am. I'm definitely getting excited over here. The season is right around the corner. And as always, Cheetos and Tuna.